Taylorsville, if you're visiting with us, uh, when you leave today, if you'll go out these doors in the back, in the lobby, there's a little gift bag for you, you can pick one of those up, and um, 
I just want to say this, welcome to North Carolina. If you want winter weather, wait until spring, then you can have some. Um, just want to make a few uh, announcements uh, regarding student ministry and kids ministry, uh, especially tonight, uh, this afternoon at 3.15, our 6th through 12th graders are going to be leaving to go up to Wilkesboro to watch Jesus Revolution. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, if you would like to go to that and you haven't signed up already, uh, just come see me right after the service and I will call and make sure we can get you a ticket. But please be here around 3 o'clock and we'll leave at 3.15. And due to that, we won't have youth tonight. So if you show up tonight, uh, you'll be by yourself and you can hang out with the kids in Awana because the Awana kids are having a party for raising $580 for the Caring Hearts Pregnancy Center. So they're having a party tonight. So uh, don't forget about that. Pizza and ice cream, I think, uh, for our students in Awana. Um, Next Tuesday is a family skate night at um, Skateland USA in Hickory. Uh, so we're just getting our church family together, and we're going to meet over there and go skating and have a good time. Uh, you can sign up for that online. The church is going to cover your admission fee, and then you cover your rental fees. Uh, and then as far as summer goes, summer's coming up quickly. Uh, if you uh, have already, if you signed up for, for Fort Caswell for our 6th through 12th grade camp, if you can get me your deposit as soon as you can, that would be great. There's 40 of you going to summer camp this year, so uh, I'm looking for you guys to turn in those deposits quickly so we can secure your spots. Uh, and then also a lot of you have been asking about Look Up Lodge for our kids, rising third through fifth grade, and I have been working with Elizabeth on that. Y'all just remember this is her first year leading 45 third through fifth grade to camp. So y'all bear with her, and I'm going to help her out this year as much as I can. But registration for that is going to open up on April 1st, okay? So if you're chomping at the bit to sign up, April 1st, you guys can sign up for that. I just want to say one more thing. On Wednesday nights, we've been having a great crowd, 6th through 12th grade. We've we're hitting almost 50 students now on Wednesday nights. And so if you're in this building or watching online and you're 6th through 12th grade, we'd love to have you on Wednesday nights. Uh, and some of our students have a little goal to see if they can break 50. So y'all help them out and see if we can break 50. But uh, you guys can stand up, turn to your neighbor, tell them maybe happy spring, but it's really winter. So.
Thank you. As you know, at this time of the service, we set aside to pray, to pray for one another, to pray as a family, to pray as an individual. So as the praise team and the choir lead us in this time of worship, if you will, please meet me here at this altar and let's pray together this morning. Lord, I need you. Lord, in an attitude of prayer this morning, we're going to be talking about our great salvation, the very thing that angels desire to look into, the things the prophets prophesied about but didn't fully understand, the things that preacher preach, preachers preach about since the resurrection, and you have it. So in the quietness of this moment, would you just thank God for your salvation? Thank God for the people that prayed for you, the people that shared Jesus with you. Just thank God for being saved. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for our redemption. Lord, for every aspect of our salvation. Lord, we give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory for it. Father, I pray that we would never take for granted the fact that you died and rose from the dead to make salvation available to all of us. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, I pray that we would never, ever take that for granted. And Father, I pray that that would be the message of this church that Jesus Christ saves regardless of your past or your present condition. Lord, you love us and you can save us. And Father, I pray that this would be a place of good news for a lost and dying world. And Father, I pray today if there's anyone here that's never placed their faith and trust in you, they may be in this congregation today, they may be watching online or maybe listening by way of radio next week. Lord, we pray that you would save them. Lord, that's the message that we want to share with Alexander County is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he alone saves from our sins. So, Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for the purpose that you give us after we're saved. And thank you for allowing us to be a part of a church that promotes that, Father. And we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I need
you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and stand with me if you will. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. Last week we talked about the, um, the unseen Christ and how even though you don't see him, you believe in him. Even though you don't see him, you, uh, you love him. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the last part of verse 9. Notice where it says, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Then he goes into verse 10 talking about that salvation. And what I think he's wanting to do, notice this picture on the screen. This goes back to verse 1, to the pilgrims that were dispersed in Pontius, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's 750,000 square miles where this letter eventually went to. And he's trying to encourage these Christians whose lives have dramatically changed because of their faith in Jesus. See, in Peter's day and during this time when he wrote the letter, if you, didn't, if you, if you were not a Christian, your life was a lot smoother. But if you were a Christian, things were beginning to change. You had lost your status in society, probably lost some family members. Uh, the culture despised you and looked at you as being odd and outdated, even in a pluralistic society where all religions were valid but one. Isn't that amazing? All religions were valid but one. And these people were probably wondering, okay, I've placed my faith in Jesus and everything's gotten worse. To them, every day was not Friday. It is wasn't. Every day was beginning to get worse and worse and worse and worse for them. And then what Paul does is he tries to encourage them by talking about your great salvation. You were redeemed. You were chosen. Uh, you have a beautiful future. You have an inheritance that is undefiled, that will not fade away, that is reserved for you, that is kept, preserved, is what he's telling them. And then he talks about even though you don't see Jesus, he says you're not going to see him, by the way. You're not. You're not going to see him. He says, even though you don't see him, isn't it amazing how you love somebody you don't see? And you believe present tense in him. And then he says, I want you to understand that God is going to save your soul. Think about look at that. Look at the end of verse 9. The salvation of your souls, the part of you that lives forever. The part of you that you can't change. You can't do that. Okay? You can change your behavior to a point. You can modify things about your body. But you cannot touch your soul. Only Jesus can do that. And he says, Jesus is going to save your soul. And then he, then he goes on in verse 10 through 12, and he wants to talk about how awesome that is. He says this, there are three groups of people here that are just amazed by your salvation. And he's wanting these people that are scattered in us today to understand what a privilege it is to be born again. Some of you have been saved 30, 40 years. Some of you have been saved longer than I've been alive. I'm 53. And it would be easy to just say, well, I'm just saved, you know. And what, what Peter would say is this, no, Peter is, has been saved a long time when he writes this letter. And he just can't get over it. Notice verse 10, of this salvation, the one that, the salvation of your souls, of verse 9, the prophets have inquired, look at that word, and searched carefully. The prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. John the Baptist was the last, in my opinion, Old Testament prophet who prophesied, notice, of the grace that would come to you. So they're not prophesying for themselves, they're prophesying about you. The grace that was going to come to you. That's amazing. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, notice it doesn't say the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of Christ, who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. What's amazing about that verse is these prophets testified 
that the Messiah would suffer and that the Messiah would also come back. And they didn't understand it. They didn't understand how the Messiah was going to suffer, but he is also going to be a king. They had no idea. They did not know. Okay, But you know. Peter says, you know more than they did. He said, and the glories that would follow, to them it was revealed not to themselves, but to us. You have more knowledge than Moses. Isn't that amazing? You have more benefits and privileges than Moses. They were ministering. Look at that word ministering. Or your translation may say serving. The things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now notice this. Things which angels desire to look into. It's amazing how the supernatural world takes the gospel, salvation, and even church services a lot more. They give it a lot more attention oftentimes than we do. It's amazing to me that the supernatural world oftentimes is more concerned and look into salvation more so than we do. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for this salvation. Lord, it's so easy to take this for granted. But Lord, I don't think heaven does. I don't think heaven takes a day off because it rains. I don't think all of the supernatural world, the angels that are worshiping you now, I think they still look into this and are curious, the word says, about our salvation. And Father, I pray that we would help the angels rejoice. Father, they said that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. What an amazing thought. Father, it amazes me that I'm preaching about what Moses wrote about. And Isaiah prophesied, but he didn't even understand it all. But he placed his faith in you. So, Father, help us as a church not to take these things for granted. And help us to understand that no matter what we're going through, Lord, our future is bright. And we have tremendous privileges as Christians that the men who wrote the Old Testament didn't have. And, Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you revealed to us today and for how you speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Paul's, Paul's base, Peter's basically telling these believers, you can face anything, and he, he wants to bring out three groups. First are the prophets. Notice what he says in verses 10 and 11. Of this salvation, the prophets, okay, when you think about the prophets, Habakkuk, Jonah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, think about Daniel's prophecies. They're just amazing, okay? The prophets have inquired and searched. Look at that word, inquired. That's used of a line following the sin of its prey. In other words, the prophets, with all diligence, spent their lives hunting down the implications of all that they had written. One scholar said, from Moses to Malachi, the prophets were given information about a coming age of grace they knew that large numbers of Gentiles would be saved because they prophesied it. They had a concept of Calvary, and certainly the prophecies related to the final atonement, but they knew nothing of the symbolisms of the annual Jewish feast, which Jesus fulfilled, especially of the Passover and Pentecost as it related to the death of Jesus or the creation of the church. They had no idea, but they looked into it. They inquired. It's the idea of a line following ascent. They also searched carefully. That verb means to mount an intense investigation, to study diligently with painstaking effort and try to find the answers to the riddles. 
That word careful search gives the idea of a little kid on Christmas Eve looking for Santa Claus. Joyous, just searching. Now, that is what the, the prophets were looking for. What you have. See, they, they could see Calvary. They could see the return of Christ. What they couldn't see is the valley in between, which I call that valley is the dispensation of grace or the church age. And Paul is reminding the believer that they have been given the complete revelation. See, they saw Calvary, Isaiah 53. They saw also how the Messiah would conquer death, Isaiah 25. But they didn't see this church age. They didn't understand it. They're like, how? So, even some uh, Jewish people thought of two Messiahs. You got one that's going to come and die, and then you got one that's going to come back and reign. They just couldn't put the two together. But you can. That's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, we know. The prophets pointed to the Savior whose name they didn't even know. We didn't even know the Savior's name until uh, the angel announced to Joseph, His name will be Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. See, notice what else. It says they prophesied of the grace that would come. They also indicated, they testified about Jesus beforehand, the sufferings that He would have to go through. Think about the sufferings that the Old Testament prophets talked about. They talked about how the Messiah would be betrayed, how he would be striped, scourged, how he would die nude, how he would be abandoned, how, how he would wear a crown of thorns, how he would be pierced, how the nations would forsake him. They even prophesied how his family would forsake him. They prophesied beforehand the things that he would suffer, but they also prophesied beforehand the glories that would follow. Okay, They said this Messiah is also going to resurrect from the dead. He's also going to ascend into heaven. He's going to resume the throne of glory. He's going to return for the church. He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. And he's going to reign as judge and king over all things. They just couldn't put it together. How are you going to have a Messiah who suffers and dies? The nation is going to forsake him, but he's going to be their king. They just didn't, they didn't understand. Moses didn't have that, okay? Isaiah didn't have that. And what Peter's saying is that you do. He's saying you have it because you've seen this dispensation that we're in. And he goes on to say at the end of that, the Spirit of Christ revealed it. The Spirit of Christ. Why would he say the Spirit of Christ instead of the Holy Spirit? Because the hope of Israel is not circumcision or keeping the law, but the hope of Israel is the Messiah. John makes a, or an angel speaking to John in Revelation 19 makes a bold statement regarding Jesus when he says this. Notice, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What's amazing about that is that in Revelation 18, John has seen the fall of the evil world system called Babylon the Great. And if you come on Wednesday nights, in a couple of weeks we're going to talk about the Great Tribulation period and who Babylon is, in my opinion. In Revelation 19... In the first part, he sees a great multitude in heaven celebrating and singing praises to God because of that judgment. So that judgment in the great tribulation is so great that all of heaven cheers. Isn't that amazing? They're cheering judgment brought upon a world system. And then in verses 6 through 8, the angel talks, John sees the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the angel says to John, he says this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And when John sees all this, you got to understand, he's had 19 chapters that's been revealed to him. He falls down to worship an angel. And the angel basically says this, don't do that. See, He says, see that you don't do that. He reprimands John, who wrote the book of Revelation. 
He said, don't do that. It's almost like he smacks him on the back of the head. Your mom ever do that to you? My mom used the back of her hand. It's just a tougher time when I grew up, okay? Don't do that. He says, don't do that. Worship God, he says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know what the angel's saying? The angel's saying this, the substance of all prophecy is Jesus. Jesus is the common theme among all prophecy. And what Peter's trying to tell these believers is this. He's trying to, look, the prophets would love to have your knowledge, number one, because they search diligently for it. And all you have to do, think, think about you, all you have to do is turn to Matthew's gospel. Turn to the book of Colossians. Turn to the book of Hebrews. The prophets searched diligently and begged God for more, and God wouldn't give them any more. And he says, you got it. Now, think about this for a moment. If Moses was here today, Moses, the great prophet, one of the greatest prophets in all the Old Testament, okay? He, he, I don't think he could put this book down. I just don't think he could. Think about how much time that you personally give to God's Word. You have the completed revelation that the prophets look for. Peter's saying, listen, what the prophets begged God for, you have it. I know you're going through a hard time, Peter's saying, but you've got to understand, your salvation, they talked about, they wrote about, they didn't understand it, and you have the full revelation. Then he talks about preachers. Notice what he says about them. He says, to them it was revealed to the prophets, not to themselves, but to us. Now notice how, this, how the prophets and the preachers come together. But to us they were ministering or serving the things which have now been reported to you. Who's, who's doing that? The preachers are reporting it. But notice what the prophets are doing. Look at that word ministering. That word ministering means this. It gives the idea that the prophets serve not themselves, but they serve you. They set a table. They served food, but they can't eat of the food. Wouldn't that be awful? Now, yesterday, I know this will probably come as a surprise to you. I cooked steak, okay? I love to eat steak. I want to thank God for May's meat. Jimmy Mays, thank you and your brother. I want to thank God for you guys killing cows. They're easier to eat dead, okay? It's just a good thing. But imagine me, a steak lover, okay, cooking steak yesterday, setting the table, and then I just got to stand there and can't eat it. Can't eat it. Can't touch it. Wouldn't that be awful? That would be death by a thousand paper cuts to me. It'd just be awful, all right? The prophets, see, he says this, they ministered those things. They set the table, but they couldn't touch it. But their ministry, their serving, is in the present tense which means Isaiah's ministry is still active today because preachers take what he said and they prophesy to you and you're saved from it or saved because of it. He says because of what the prophets wrote down, their ministering, that serving is in the per imperfect tense. It's a continuous action. Even though Isaiah is dead, he's still serving mankind because of his prophecies. Isaiah 25, I read this at almost every funeral service. Isaiah 25, listen to this. He... Who's he? It's capital H-E. Talking about Jesus whom he did not know his name, but he knew it was coming. He will swallow up death forever. This is 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah, serving us, said he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. 
The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Isaiah said it's going to happen. There's coming a day. John says almost the same thing in Revelation 21. He says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Where did John get that from Isaiah? See, Isaiah being dead still is serving us because of what he said. Preachers take these prophetic oracles by the prophets and preach them, and then people get saved. That's how it was in Peter's day. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have it. So Paul would go into a synagogue, and then he would take the Old Testament, take what the prophets had written and prophesied, and preach it, and people would get saved. Notice what happens in Acts 13. Paul goes to Pisidia, and he goes into a synagogue. Now listen, this is what Paul did. It said, after the reading, this was the synagogue leader of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, talking to the synagogue, if any of you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak it now. Then Paul stood up. I want you to notice those four words. It changed Antioch. Then Paul stood up. Then Paul stood up. And you know what he did? He took the Old Testament scrolls of these men that were dead, these men that were still serving us because of what they wrote, and he preached from it in this synagogue. Paul takes, he says, listen, men and brethren, he goes like this, men and brethren, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. And then he started talking. I got a little bit of his, just a little bit of his sermon here. He talks about their history. He says, we were in Egypt as slaves, and God freed us. A, mirac- a historical fact. Then he talks about, he said, he said we, in order to get the promised land, we had to conquer seven nations, and they did. Then he talks about Abraham. He talks about the rest of their history. And then he gets to John the Baptist, the last living Old Testament prophet, because the Jews still respected him. I mean, he had his head cut off for the Lord, all right? And then he takes a sudden turn when he talks about Jesus. Now notice what he says. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, talking about the crucifixion, and when he says they, when they had, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, what he's saying is this, the prophets prophesied that the Messiah would be cut off. And whenever the Jews and the Romans took Jesus and they put him on a tree, that's what he says, and crucified him, that was a fulfillment of prophecy, which indicates that in verse 12, they're still serving us, these prophets are. They're still serving us. Their prophecies are still serving us to this day. Isaiah's dead, but his prophecies are still true. Read Isaiah 53. If you're ever alone in your home and you want to understand the power of the crucifixion, read Isaiah 53. Just read it. Isaiah had never met Jesus, didn't know his name. And he says, they're going to pluck his beard out. He said, he said when, I, when you see him, you're not going to be impressed by what he looks like. Jesus does not look like a tan Bon Jovi. He doesn't. We don't know what he looks like, but he don't look like that. He says, when you saw him, you would not be impressed by what he looks like. Then he says, he was beaten to the point that you couldn't even tell if he was a human. You couldn't even tell if he was, he said he was, lamb, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't even say a word about it. Peter, Peter repeats that later. 
See, Isaiah, Isaiah's pro- even to this day, Isaiah's been dead a long time. He's still ministering to us. And preachers in Paul's day would take what Isaiah said, they would go into a synagogue filled with Gentiles and Jews, and he would preach it. And then Paul said this, four times he says it. He says, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Paul preaches that as a historical fact. Four times he mentions the resurrection in this one synagogue service. Paul takes the Bible that the prophets had written, and he says, I'm going to preach from that. And he says, every one of these prophecies talks about Jesus. He died on the cross. They took him from the cross, put him in a tomb, and he rose from the dead, just as Isaiah 53 says. Just as Isaiah 53 prophesies. Just as Psalm 22 prophesies. Paul quotes two or three psalms in this sermon. And then he rose from the dead, and the people were awestruck. Notice, it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Now listen, you can go to church anywhere you want to. I wouldn't give a dime to a church that didn't preach the Bible. I would not give a moment's time to a church that did not preach the Bible. That did not preach it. That's why our Sunday school teachers and our teachers go verse by verse, preaching God's Word. Because you know why? Because those prophets are still ministering to us today, even though they're dead. Peter is ministering to us today, even though Peter has been dead for a long time. And what Peter's saying to these believers that are scattered and they're struggling so much is this. Listen, the prophets prophesied about your salvation and the preachers are preaching it. And then the last thing he says is this, and the angels desire to look into it. Look at that word desirous, the word curiosity. It doesn't mean that angels can't understand it because they're a lot smarter than us, but they're just so curious about it. Peter says the angels of heaven desire to look into what you have. See, Jesus didn't die for angels. He didn't. He died for people. For God so loved the world. That word world means the rebellious God-haters, which was all of us, he died for. Not the angels. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews, I believe the writer of Hebrews makes this statement. He says, we also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. And what Peter is saying is this, the angels have a fascination with salvation. That word desiring means longing to look into. It's a continual inner yearning to comprehend. And as he says, it doesn't mean they can't understand the plan of redemption. It just means it refers to their holy curiosity because they can't be saved. Paul tells us this. Notice in Ephesians 3.10 on the screen, Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, which is all of it, Old Testament, New Testament, is made known, if you preach the Bible, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He gives the idea that all of heaven is wanting to understand what you understand. One scholar says it's telling us that the church has a unique place in God's economy to show something about himself, not only to the world, but also to the angelic host in heaven, is that he saves. Your salvation is a big deal in the angelic realm. Angel looks at us sinners converted by faith in the resurrected Christ who died in our place 
and are struck with a sense of awe and delight. Paul tells the church at Corinth, be careful how you have church. This is what he says, and I'm going to paraphrase. Be careful how you, how you have church. He says, some of you are trying to promote yourself through your spiritual gift. Some of you are trying to dress a certain way. He says, some of you come to this church, and you're living in sexual immorality, and you're trying to worship. That's what he says. So you not know angels are here? It's basically what he says in the worship service. Think about that for a minute. That's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying it's almost as if, they're, isn't it amazing how when, a, when a, a New Testament apostle was in trouble, the Bible says an angel was there. When James had been killed, they put Peter in jail. Peter was going to be killed by Herod. The church started praying. They're in homes praying for Peter. James had been killed. He was dead. He wasn't coming back from the, from the dead. And they had Peter. Okay? And they had Peter. And the Bible says this about Peter. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Where did he come from? Had he always been there? Think about that for a minute. Did God have to tell him? Or was the angel already there? Most of the scholars I read after said, oh, that angel had been with him. And a light shone in prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, Put your garment on and follow me. So he went out and followed him. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel left. The angel broke him out of prison. But the angel was there. Angels watch. Angels do God's bidding. Angels love the gospel and people coming to Christ. And angels are pulling for you to share the gospel. The writer of Hebrews says this, Angels are ministering spirits sent out for those who will inherit salvation. I heard one pastor, I was listening to his message on angels, he says, angels come at death. The Bible says that the, that the rich man died and he was buried. Lazarus dies and the angels escorted him into Abraham's bosom. The more I study after scholars, men and women both alike, they are convinced much of what is happening in our lives, in the world, in past history, can be attributed to angels, fallen angels, or demons. But the amazing thing about these angels is they delight in salvation and they are present when people get saved. I heard Tommy Nelson say this. Isn't it amazing about angels and their interactions with people? He says, one angel, one angel, one angel caused Roman guards to be so afraid that they shook and passed out like dead men. One angel. He says, and think about this. When you die, he makes this statement. He says, I believe that when you die, you'll see a presence of someone. And he says, I believe that someone's going to be an angel. And this is the way he put it. He said, it's going to be the angel who's been with you most of your life. He was there when you're saved, and he'll take you home when you die. What a blessed thought. Isaiah seeing the Lord, and my, the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. Isaiah said this, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. And the Bible says that when we die, we're going to a place. And the writer of Hebrews kind of compared it to mountains. 
You had Mount Sinai where the law came. And the writer of Hebrews says this, it was just the law, the law, the law. Then you have Mount Zion. And notice what he says about it. He says, but you're going to go to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem is ultimately where you're going. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. In, in church is what it says. You have come to the assembly, that's the word of, for church, of God's firstborn children. That's all those that are born again, whose names are written in heaven. Now think about it for a moment. Whose names are written in heaven. And I would ask you today, is your name written in heaven? Is your name written in heaven? Who have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. When I see that word, I think of this. We all have a court date. We all, we're all going to court one day. The Bible says that if you're lost, you're going to the great white throne judgment. It's a great white throne judgment. You're going to court one day. And I don't know if you've ever been to court, but you know what you say in court? You say nothing. You don't say a word. Paul said this at the, at the law, when you think about the law, on judgment day, a lost person will say nothing. You're not going to say anything. You're going to know you're guilty before God. And then if you're a Christian, you're going to the judgment seat of Christ, and your only, your only plea is this, Jesus. That's it. You don't go to heaven because you've been circumcised. You don't go to heaven because you're baptized as a baby or as an adult. You don't go to heaven because you're a Baptist or a Lutheran or a Methodist or a Catholic. You can eat all the bread you want to. You know what that is? They just got it at Lifeway or Walmart, right? None of that stuff's going to save you. Your only hope is Jesus. Your only hope is Jesus. And the Bible says that the angels desire to look into that. Everything about, I think everything you do for the gospel's sake the angels of heaven take note of it. Every dime you give. Every, I think the angels would say this. Why does this person sing in these groups in the community, but they don't sing in church? Don't you think that? I mean, I think, I think angels would say that person teaches at all these places, but they don't teach at church. That person is good with, with money, but they don't serve at church. That person is so kind with kids at their work. And they don't serve at church. I, I think the angels think, why would that happen? I don't understand that. I don't think the angels under, fully understand that. Okay, You've been given gifts and talents to proclaim the gospel, to help disciple people, and why don't you do it? Because okay? one day, listen, you're going to go to Mount Zion. And notice what it says. You've come to God himself. Though you don't see him, you love him. Though you don't see him, you believe in him. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Your mom, your dad, your children, all those people who have placed their faith in Jesus, you're going to go and be there with them, with God, and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. What a great future you have. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, okay? But I do know that the prophets would love to be in your place. I don't know what you're going through, but all the preachers that preached in the past preach about a salvation that you've received. 
And I don't know what you're going through, but the angels desire to have what you have as well. Would you stand with me for just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come? And I would ask you this question with your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? And if not, I would encourage you today. You don't have to come to an altar. You don't need a preacher with you. But you pray and say, God, I give my life to you. Father, I give my life to Jesus. You're the only hope that I have is Jesus. Then if you're here today and you're born again, let me ask you this question. Are you giving your life for the kingdom of God? Are you giving your life for the gospel's sake? Surrender your life afresh and anew to Jesus. Grab the attention of heaven by serving the Lord. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for this day. Father, we want to thank you for the grace and mercy and the salvation that you alone can give. Thank you for the prophets of old who prophesied of all these things to come. Lord, thank you for the preachers who faithfully preach the gospel in Paul's day and in our day. And Father, thank you for our salvation, the salvation of our souls. Lord, that's one thing that we can't do for ourselves, that we have to humble ourselves and allow to be done for us. And Father, if there's anyone today here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. just for a moment would you just once again thank God for your salvation thank God for saving you thank God for his gifts and callings on your life what you do for the kingdom of God matters for eternity there's a lot of things in my life especially in the past I've done it will not change eternity one bit but everything we do for the kingdom will and Father, we want to thank you for that. Thank you for the people in our past who taught us your word, who invited us to church, many who brought us to church. Lord, help us never to take those things for granted, Father. And we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people once again said, amen. If you will, direct your attention to the front. I'm going to ask Kelsey and Dylan Tedder to come forward. They both just recently been baptized. They've been through Class 101, and they desire to join East Hills Baptist Church. Do we have a motion to accept them as members? Do we have a second? Raise your hand and say amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Love you both. Honored to be your pastor and related to you and your family as well. Honored to baptize you. Honored to officiate their wedding as well. What a blessing. And we have a brick we want to give you. And if you're new here, what this brick means is just we're all the same. I don't get special privileges because I'm the preacher. I'm no better than you. Your gifts and talents are just as important as mine, and it takes all of us to build the kingdom of God. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. I know you want to come by and shake their hands, and hope to see you back here tonight at 5.